Hello and welcome in to episode number 56 of the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We are going to have a very special three-part series called In Quest of Truth. And today we have a very special guest, Pastor Ron Blavelt. Thank you for coming to the Grace Point Daily Podcast. It's my privilege and my joy to do this and to share with people some of the things that I discovered from nearly 40 years of research. I am super excited about it. You gave me this book that you wrote uh, a while back, but before we dive into it, let's just give people a little information about who you are. You're a former pastor, uh, evangelist, lots of different things. Give us the bio of your life real quick. Okay, well, if I that's possible. was in uh, <laughs> purebred cattle from the time I was a small child, clear up until I was, uh, until 1980 when we moved to southwest Missouri. We uh, showed cattle from Louisville, Kentucky to the Denver stock show and did that for many, many years. Showed at Denver for over 30 years. Um, had national champions, and along with that, I was in real estate and as a real estate broker and international purebred cattle sales, so... Uh, had a very uh, different kind of a life, but a wonderful life. And you've pastored, pastored a church? Pastored 21 and a half years, eight years in Nebraska and 13 and a half years in Casper, Wyoming. Wow, and you also served as an evangelist as well, you said. Yes, I preached my first sermon when I was 13 years old. And uh, was it, while I was still in high school, I started filling in at churches uh, where pastors were gone on vacation or sick or something like that. And then for... 25 years plus, actually plus 25 years, I preached revivals and uh, camp meetings and retreats and all kinds of things for uh, in most all the major denominations over a 10-state area. Wow. And so you are how old now, Pastor Ron? I'm 79. 79. You've been married 60 years, right, wasn't it? You celebrated first of, this First year? of November this last fall, my wife and I have been married 60 years. <laughs> so you have celebrated a life of God's goodness for sure. Certainly we have. We've got three wonderful children, eight grandkids, uh, four great-grandkids. It's just been a good life. I met my wife at uh, a state youth camp, church youth camp, and uh, she come from a wonderful Christian family, and so did I, and so uh, we've made a good combination. Praise God. And most importantly, uh, we're fellow Nebraskans together. Yes, you were from the northeast <laughs> part of the state, and I was kind of north-central. Uh, if people are acquainted with where US-83 is, it goes from the Gulf, clear up through the Oklahoma Panhandle, and clear up to the Canadian border, and it went right by the east side of our town. Wow. So shout out to all the Nebraskans that might be listening. You're going to get blessed. Well, anyway, Pastor Ron, we're bringing you on the podcast because specifically, it was a few months back, you gave me this book that you wrote called In Quest of Truth, Unlocking the Secrets. And uh, I, you know, I, I did my due diligence. I read it. You know, so sometimes you give someone a book and you don't know if they ever read it or not. I try to be respectful. And if someone does give me a book, I try to read it. And so I read your book. And it's one of those books where when I it's different than what I expected. When I just read the cover in Quest of Truth, I was like, okay, he's going to talk about God's words true and scriptures. And But this is really a very scientific and biblical approach to God's truth. Yes. Uh, one of my, well, actually, my favorite quote out of the book said, uh, we can put a, in place a scientific discovery and then marvel as the scripture wells it into place. Forty years uh, before I wrote this book, I started, and it came as a result of my wife and I were working with youth in our community. We had smaller communities, six churches there, and uh, we had kids from all the churches in our youth group, which was kind of unusual for most places, but anyhow, that was a wonderful <laughs> blessing. And uh, I got asked questions that I couldn't answer, 
And then we had our kids got to growing up, and I got questions from them that I couldn't answer. And so I started asking people, pastors and others, and they didn't have answers either that uh, they could back up. And yeah. so I started researching, and uh, little by little over the co uh, course of about 40 years, I put together the stuff, and uh, it wasn't until the last, oh, probably the last couple of years that I started actually writing. When I finished it, the day I finished it, uh, I broke into tears because I just knew in my heart it was finished. And I was sitting there with two eight-foot uh, folding tables. They were stacked high with research, uh, information, scientific, as well as Bible commentaries. And I tried to find every bit of information I could. And your conclusion is was that God is truth. My conclusion is that the, the Scripture is 100% true. Uh, when it says, uh, all things were made by him, without him nothing was made that was made, which comes from uh, John 1.3, and uh, Colossians 1.16 says basically the same thing, everything in the heavens, uh, earth and under the earth, uh, they all were made by him and for him and for his pleasure. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how you look at it any simpler than that. <laughs> I think you bring, in this book, you really bring up some things that make Christians scared you know, to, to approach certain ways of thinking and science and theories that I think a lot of Christians get scared of because they somehow think that's going to take them away from their faith. But you do a beautiful job of telling us and showing us that as we search out not only the scriptures, but science, we can actually be drawn closer to God. I think the, the biggest problem probably we have is that Christians don't trust science and science doesn't trust Christianity. And as I say several times in the book, if we could just get together and sit down and uh, look at what the Scripture says and what scientific, not their theories, but uh, their factual uh, discoveries and so on, yeah. we would see that they're really quite compatible. And I think one of the problems is is that people don't know what. Well, let me say it this way. I've had so many pastors and uh, teachers and so on say to me, I've never taught on creation much because I didn't know how to say it and I didn't know what to yeah. say. Yeah. That's, and so you start out the book here, you know, there's things that I and Lauren, I know you have a bunch of notes here, so you feel free to share with us too. But one of the things you start talking about is we have to address fact and theory. What is fact and what is theory? Because there's, there's so many theories that science and people have assumed as truth that are just simply theories. Well, let me say this. Certainly science has had theories. They change from time to time. One will come along and then it'll get replaced by some scientific facts and another comes along. But the scientific world I discovered uh, is not the only one that has theories. A lot of people who are in the Christian faith and they don't do it intentionally, but they have theories mm. also. And you wrote, I underline this, theories are not consistent. They can change. Truth never changes. And that's what we're in the quest for is truth. But theories are something that can change all the time. I arrived at the title for this book because uh, it was what was coming from my heart. I just, uh, I wanted to know what was truth. And I didn't have uh, the knowledge of what I felt like I got all the answers. And I grew up with the fact that it all started in the Garden of Eden, and I was told that that was 6,000 or 6,500 years ago, based upon uh, Bishop Eicher, who's a, really a noted Jewish historian, not a Christian, but a Jewish historian. He says Adam was created 4,004 years before Christ. And he does that by genealogies and a lot of extensive uh, Jewish history. 
And so uh, uh, I started thinking about that. I, and then my big question was all through the years, what about prehistoric things? We know they yeah. were here. Uh, you know, they've got them uh, in different places, in museums and so on. And we know they were here, and uh, there's nothing in the Scripture to suggest that that has been the last six or 7,000 years. Wow. And a quote from your book here, Scientific discoveries build my hope. The Bible builds my faith. And you did a great job of, I thought, not just, it's not like you just only used Christian people. You you use secular people and, and secular information. And again, it didn't take away from your faith or your belief in Christ. Rather, it enhanced it. You will, uh, as you go through the book, you'll discover that uh, many leading scientists actually uh, believe in the scripture. And uh, some who don't uh, have say that some of their theories are, are, you know, very shallow. In fact, one noted scientist in there says, you can turn over a stone and we have to rewrite the textbooks. And uh, that's where I've discovered in all of these years of research that, uh, you know, there's not many scientific, I'll go along scientific fact, but there's a lot of scientific theories that uh, just are not solid, um, you know, that we can take hold of. Yeah, we don't have to, one of the great things I took away from your book, we do not have to be afraid that by probing and seeking out truth that we're somehow going to lose our faith. Or I, I, I think there's just a general fear from Christians that if we open ourselves to science or read these theories that somehow, oh no, my faith, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fall away from Jesus. And you said it, it, it made your faith greater and deeper. Somewhere along the line, we come to the conclusion in the Christian world, I guess, that science was so suspect and we couldn't really put much confidence in what science says. And uh, we didn't really know what uh, answers for a lot of the questions we had. I remember getting a note from uh, the fellow who was a president of the Assembly of God Theological Seminary several years ago, or two or three years ago. He got a hold of one of my books, and he wrote me the nicest letter saying, he said, there's so much practical wisdom in this book, and I just hope that it goes on and that you have a wide distribution. Yeah. Then I had a, I did a, a program in a, a former Bible college president, a church. He pastored a church in northern Iowa now. And I sold quite a few books at the end of that service. And when he got done, he said, well, I want 10 books. And I said, well, what are you going to do with 10 books? And he said, well, I'm going to give them out to my colleagues. All of them need to have one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's walk through this, Pastor Ron. Let's, I know we're not going to be able to go in-depth, in-depth per se, but that's a little bit of the introduction of your book. You start off chapter one, Foundations of Establishing Research. Yes, uh, I started, uh, as I say, collecting it, and I, I changed my theory, and let me emphasize theory, because I had theories just like everybody else okay. does. I uh, started with a theory, and uh, along the way, I discovered that uh, there was holes in the theory, and that there, was, uh, there had to be answers out there, and if we dig deep enough, we could find them. What was your biggest struggle uh, when you first started? I think my biggest struggle was getting from the fact that I was raised, and I had a very godly father, but I was raised that it all started in the Garden of Eden. And yet my father would say, well, I know better than that because uh, he had uh, several pieces of ivory that had come from a clay pit out north of our town up there, and he was working on the road at that time as a younger fellow. And uh, they uncovered this big uh, group. They estimated there was maybe 100 or more what they called mastodons. 
and uh, a lot of the bones were still there and uh, uh, from the jaw out about halfway out on the tusk was this ivory hadn't uh, gone away. In fact, they have one of them that's on display up at the University of Nebraska and they estimated that they were 15 to 20 million years old. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you, and you acknowledge that or believe that today? Is that, was, is that your belief? Or? Yeah, I don't have a problem. Uh, if God's been here all of these years, this was one of my big questions. If God's been here however long, scientists say our world has been in existence for 4.6 billion years. Uh, how confident they are in that, that's just an estimate I know. But if God's been around hundreds or thousands or billions of years, then aren't we kind of... Uh, Shouldn't we be amazed that he would not do anything older than 6,000 years out of that time or 6,500 since Adam and Eve? Uh, doesn't make sense after you get into it and really get to yeah. study. I've got a lot bigger God than that. Yeah, amen. And Because the, the classical theory for Christians is that pretty much God made the world in seven days. The The earth is seven, seven thousand, or how old? Roughly 7,000 years old or whatever. What God did was, uh, and if you say the scripture, you'll find that this to be the case. What God did was reconstruct the earth from Genesis 1. Uh, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In uh, Genesis 1, 2 says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And then we go into uh, the seven days of creation, which was culminated with the creation of Adam and Eve. Uh, so... Uh, the more I studied this, the more I could become convinced that I have way much too big of a God to just limit him down to 6,000, six or 7,000 years. Yeah, I, and I think in doctrine, theology, I mean, I know we have truth and there's definitely solidified truths we have in regards to our faith, but I, I agree with you. I think that's the one thing we have just made God way too small when it comes to creation, when it comes to everything that we do as Christians. I, uh, Prayer was, life doing a seminar in Nebraska here a couple of years ago. And uh, I was sitting back at the table after it was over, signing some books for people who wanted a signature in them. And this man I'd never met before came back to me and he said to me, he said, I'm a retired scientist, but I'm also a Christian. And I just want you to know my wife and I have researched this for years and uh, you're right on with what you put in the book. That's awesome. Well, let's walk through your notes here. What are you going to unload on us here, Pastor Ron? You kind of well, uh, I have notes here, and I just brought them kind of <laughs> so I'd have a reference here. Yeah. But uh, there's actually three scenarios or thoughts in creation. They're either uh, the biblical, as we call it the biblical. However, uh, I discovered in all this research that the biblical creation is a lot, according to the Scripture, is much, much larger than uh, starting with Genesis, uh, or at least Genesis 1-2. Uh, then there's a theory of evolution. You've got to, um, you know, if, if you don't have somebody creating something here, who made the um, prehistoric creatures, the animals, uh, human-like uh, beings, and so on? Um, you've got to address that issue because they've been here, and we know they've been here. There's proof of that. And they certainly they go back a lot more than six or 7,000 years. Or the only other scenario is, well, it just somehow happened, but I don't have any way of describing it. And uh, I go with the biblical one. Okay. Let's hang on. Let's focus on evolution for just a, a second. You kind of, in your book here, I know the quote I wrote in uh, page 30, you said one of the severe, the most severe problems with evolutionist theory is that it must defy the basic laws of biology in order for it to be factual. 
The evolution theory is still something very popular, many people believe in. What's the problems with ev evolution? The problems with evolution, uh, we learned clear back when I was a sophomore in high school in biology, that one species doesn't turn into another species. That species uh, stay the same. In order for evolution to work, it's got to go from one species to another species. They say it started, most evolutionists say it started with some kind of a one-cell little creature that began to develop and, and got out on the land and, and so on. Then it turned into monkeys and uh, so on. And, and then we came from them. And I uh, was at a uh, conference up at... Shadron State College back a number of years in the early 1970s, and I got there. I was going to speak to a group of uh, college students there uh, that was having a Christian retreat over the weekend, and uh, so I went in and sat down. I got there a little early, went in and sat down to a fellow teaching evolution, and um, the more I listened to him, the more confused I uh, saw that he was, and so that I I run across a little story somewhere back, and I don't really know where I picked it up in my research. But this college professor's up there, and he's really going big time on evolution. And uh, after he, he gets pretty well with his presentation done, he said, well, let me put it this way. It really doesn't make any difference to me if my grandfather was an ape. He said, I know who I am, and so on. And one of the young college students raised his hand, and he was uh, uh, allowed to speak. And he said, well, he said, sir, it may not make any difference to you whether your grandfather was an ape or not, but I'll bet it made a lot of difference to your grandma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, w why is why is that why is the evolution theory still taught and held in such high esteem today? In your it, opinion? It's taught because they don't have anything else to teach. If you don't accept the Bible, uh, then evolution is about the only other uh, source you have to go with. And they they know the scientific world knows that our world has been here for a long time, and they don't have answers. Uh, they're just trying to uh, actually. The research I found, I didn't find many scientists that didn't seem to be looking for answers. That's why there's a change of theories every so often. The Big Bang Theory came out in the 1960s. Uh, everybody in the scientific world jumped onto that. Then it, that got put aside, and cosmic strains come along, and uh, several other theories. And now they're all pretty much disregarded, and uh, they're looking for new theories. Okay. The two <laughs> I, I feel like, at least I heard in my lifetime, are the Big Bang and the evolutionary, evolutionary theory, are those the same or are they different? What's the difference between those? Well, they're, they're the same in one fact is that they, they're talking about evolution. Uh, the Big Bang theory states that it all come, uh, there was one Big Bang and all these particles came all out and from those particles all the different things formed. Uh, you know, that's kind of silly. Yeah, go out here and set off a bomb out here and let it go. We know that it would turn into all the different things that the scientific world for a period of time claimed that it did. Yeah. Um, the question I was on here as are, are scientists, do, do they use the word truth and you found in your research? What, what is it they search for? What, what is the end game for us? It's truth. What, what do you find the end game for them being? Is it just how things are made or designed or, does that question make sense? Because I feel like ours is to say what is truth, but for a scientist, what's the point for them? Like, is it truth? Is it meaning? Is it just, what are they searching for? There's thousands of uh, scientists, of course, and uh, many of them with many different theories. You really don't realize that until you start researching it and see how many different theories that different leading scientists have come up with. And um, it's... Uh, 
they're they're looking at theories. They don't have any truth, so they're looking for theories, and they de- they develop theories. Uh, nobody likes to be said that what you're thinking is not true, <clears throat> and the scientific world doesn't want that either. And that's why there has not been a coming together of biblical scholars in the scientific world because. We're afraid that somebody's going to mess up our thoughts. Right. <laughs> what do you say to people that, as we get in conversations with people that are Big Bang Theory or evolution, what do we do as believers? What do we do with a conversation like that? When you're talking to believers? or No, when you're talking to someone who's not a believer or oh, not a Christian. Okay. And well, they say, well, I believe in evolution. I believe in the Big Bang Theory. What do we do with that conversation? Well, I just say to those people that are usually not the scientific world to say, I believe in the Big Bang Theory more. It's uh, lesser people that have not, they say, well, you know, scientists say the Big Bang Theory, so I'm going to accept that. Well, most of them are not uh, aware of the fact that that science, for the most part, has completely set the Big Bang Theory apart, away. Mm -hmm. Then the one on the cosmic strings said there was all these strings flying through the universe, and somehow they started coming together, and different strings made different things, and so on, which is pretty absurd. Uh, You've got to have, I say you've got to have a whole lot more faith to believe in evolution, the evolutionary process, than you do in the scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talk about in, in the, initially here in the book, the evolution challenge. Then you transition over into talking about the challenge of science uh, and how we have to deal with that as believers. And, and they have that. Tell me about that chapter. A yeah, bit. I don't, uh, I used to have struggle with uh, scientific fact, not scientific theory, but scientific fact because it didn't fit into what I thought was my belief. But the more you study it, and uh, when you take 40 years, you do a lot of changing of, of ideas and thoughts mm-hmm. along the line. And the, the more you come up with that uh, substantiates a line of thought, uh, the more you start believing in that. And that's what happens. Uh, People say to me once in a while, I've not had very many, but maybe three or four people in, in all the years that I've been doing seminars on this and so on, saying, you know, I really don't agree with you. Uh, and I say, well, how how much research have you done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and most of them say, well, be real honest with you, I haven't done much research on this. And I say, well, maybe you ought to try research and see what you come up with, because you'll be amazed at what you find. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, the downside of Christianity is that sometimes we just, we have these truths or these things that we believe we've never sought out. We've never researched, but it's like, by golly, this is what we believe in. But it's like, well, why do you believe that? I was talking last night about the fundamentals of our faith, about how we should be readers of God's word and how I talk about, there's a lot of Christians that don't really read the word. There's a lot of Christians who's, who have never read the Bible. Yes. And I joke with them, well, what if the part that you haven't read is wrong? How would you know? You've never read, you've never researched, you've never sought out, you've never studied God's word, which we're challenged and called to do as followers of Christ. And I think that's what we do here in regards to creation and some of these things. We don't do our due diligence to study or seek them out. We kind of fear them. We just hold on to these truths that we just have supposedly had for so long. Yeah, uh, I don't know where I and and many others missed the scripture. Like I said a while ago, John 1, 3 says, all things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. That That's pretty plain. The, Colossians 1, 16 says, for by him all things were created that are in the heavens and that are in the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or powers, all things were created through him. 
Revelation 4.11 You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Uh, that has to encompass all the things that's been here on this earth if we're going to accept that as, as what the Scripture teaches. And if you can't accept that, you're going to have a hard time with a lot of the Scripture. Yeah. In this chapter, we're kind of on here in terms of science. One of the things I guess I have heard as a Christian that I haven't studied or sought out myself, scientists date our solar system as approximately 4.6 billion years old. I think the majority of Christians would say, oh, that's not true. Well, then you're saying that God has not been here from everlasting unto everlasting. Yeah. Uh, if you can't acknowledge uh, uh, a time, uh, what it put on there, 4 billion years or whatever, or 4.6 billion years, then you've got to say, well, God hasn't always been here. Um, you know, um, that's kind of big for us. But I'd like to tell people, if you want to look at the, we, we talk about the future uh, being uh, without end, if you want to get kind of a little uh, idea of what that is, look at the past. If God's been here from everlasting unto everlasting, uh, it's, and it's been 4.6 billion or however many, yeah. uh, the future is pretty bright. And that's kind of hard for us to wrap our mind around that. But that it, why would be that, that's where I think my eyes began to open up, even in the beginning of reading your book here, was like, why, why do we need to struggle with that as Christians? Why, why would we fear that if our God is eternal, which we talk about all the time, if he has always been and always, always has been, always will be, why would, why would something like that shake our faith? I think it's, it's a, a bigger line of thought than we have been accustomed to or that we maybe have been taught. And I don't want to be critical of people who say, well, it all started in the Garden of Eden. That's to the best of their knowledge, and that's what they're thinking, and uh, they're believing that. But uh, when you start researching, and I'll tell you, you spend several years researching this with scientific journals and Bible commentaries and so on, you have come to the conclusion that this, is just, this earth's just a whole lot, long, a lot bigger than 6,000 years ago. Yeah. At the end of this chapter, you say science and the Bible find agreement in three areas. Number one, the earth is very old. Number two, all things have had a beginning. And number three, there have been major changes in the earth's environment. There are three very basic things there, and every one of them has to be true. You also said all things had their beginning at Eden. Scientific facts are in conflict with what the Bible, or what was that, is that? Oh, these general assumptions are general assumptions. All things had their beginning at Eden. Scientific facts are in conflict with what the Bible actually teaches. And there is really no way that we can know the truth for sure. Those are more assumptions that aren't necessarily true. That's, that's true. Let me give you one that I, I run across later in my research, and I should have uh, missed it, but I did. When you get day number one, of course, the earth was without form and void. Darkness is upon the face of the deep. And then uh, the, the Lord separates the light from the darkness. Then he separates the water from the land and so on. You get to day number three, and he's already... Uh, created the grass and so on. Now he gets ready to uh, uh, do it. If you read that in Genesis, the uh, fruit trees and the other things there. And notice what it says. Very different from what most people are aware of. It says, uh, he speaks to the earth and says, bring forth that which is within you. Bring forth that which is within you. Uh, if it's already there in the earth, where did it come from? It had to come from a prior uh, time before the earth was without form and void. Uh, there's just no other place to stick it in there. Yeah. Another, I'm just 
things that really stuck out to me. Page 50, it said, one of the major differences in approach to discovery is that the evolutionist begins with today's beings and attempts to trace back to a lesser beginning. The Bible starts at the beginning and progresses forward to more recent times. Uh, yes, and that's that's the difference between the scientific approach and uh, the evolutionary approach and the scripture. The Bible starts with in the beginning and then begins to elaborate it in different places throughout the scripture. Uh, the scientific world looks at where we are today and they're trying to figure out where we come from. And that's how the evolutionary theory comes up. They've, they've got to have a beginning uh, somewhere and uh, they can't find it in the thousands or even millions of years where they can go back through. And so they come up with these uh, ideas, which is uh, theories, and theories do not have uh, necessarily a basis. Uh, theories change from time to time. Facts, uh, incredible facts, are they're always the same. So as you teach Genesis uh, in the beginning creation, how do, how do you teach that as a pastor then when you're teaching that? Um, or a Christian reading that this now with all this in mind, I'm reading now, reading the creation story. And I say, oh, no, there's a different creation or wait, this is the creation or how, how do you approach that and teach that to people? I think there's a, quite a few verses of scripture that Bible scholars, even pretty much Bible scholars are not really acquainted with or at least not. They read to them so fast they didn't stop to see what they actually were saying. And uh, one of the things I had a leading uh, geologist for Continental Oil was one of my board members in the church in Casper, Wyoming. He Continental Oil was one of their leading geologists for a number of years. And I said to him, Wendell, uh, out here in southwest Wyoming, crude oil some places is up to 14,000 feet below the surface. I said, science says that crude oil is organic. And he said, that's right. And I said, well, how can it be organic and be 14,000 feet below the ground? And he said, well, sometime back in our history, this ground has all been stirred up and that which was organic, which had to be on top of the, the layer of the earth for it to be organic, has got mixed down in and in southwest Wyoming down to 14,000 feet. And uh, I got to thinking about it, and we'd gone to southern Illinois. My wife had an uncle back there, and he was a coal miner. And he took us out and showed us where coal cropped out right on the top of the ground out west of Newcoin, Illinois. And you go east 30 or 40 miles, and it's a couple hundred feet underneath, the same vein of coal. There had to be something that got it there. And then you get over Jeremiah, and he talks about the hills moving back and forth and so on. And then you begin to see, you know, the Bible it, it doesn't have all the details, but it has enough there for us to grab onto and say, wow, there's something pretty spectacular there. Wow. So that, this you're getting our taste buds wet here, Pastor Ron. We're going to come back a couple more episodes dive deeper into a quest for truth. Is this, Now, is this book still available? Or I know you had mentioned, is it in production, out of production? It's, uh, I have about 200 books left. Uh, the publisher, I think, overextended himself down in, uh, in Oklahoma, the Oklahoma suburb, and uh, he went under here okay. a couple of years ago. And so uh, nobody, uh, I mean, I can't get any more books published by him. I'm looking into the possibility of going with one of the other good Christian publishers and, and seeing if they're interested in publishing the book. I was really impressed with the company when I went down there three or four times, but uh, 
I think the fellow was had good intentions. He just overextended himself with yeah. too, too many people. So if you want the book, you have to come to Grace Point. You have to meet Pastor Ron in person. He'll hook you up with one. Yeah, they can give me a call, <laughs> write me a letter, or give me a call. My phone number is 417-310-3315, and we'll work something out, or they can write me. My address is 18665 Highway 96 at Carthage, and uh, uh, we'll get you a book. All right, so part one in the quest for truth, we're going to be coming right back. Part two, thank you for listening to the Grace Point Daily Podcast. Pastor Ron is going to be back with us on the next episode. Thanks for listening to us. We'll talk to you next time.